Listener Production. G'day, you're listening to episode 72 of the Howie Games Part B featuring tennis legend Boris Becker. On with the show. Um, there's so much to talk about tennis-wise, but as I said to you, Boris, one of the aims of this podcast is to really inspire people and motivate them with stories of success and, and the journey athletes have had along the way. Can you try and explain to me, as a young man, 17, 18, 19, 20, you started talking about being known. By this stage, you've won a couple of Wimbledons. You're a worldwide figure as a very young personality. What, what did you learn as a young man about fame? You know, I never liked the word fame. I don't really understand what it is. Um, it, it's a fascination now more than ever. Everybody wants to be famous. And my question is why? What, what does that mean? Um, uh, I started playing tennis because I loved it. I started playing tennis because I loved, you know, the competition. I love um, uh, the winning, you know, of course the losing too, but the, I love the whole game of it. And that's, that's why I, I play and that's why I'm still involved here. All these sideshows that happens when you win a big title or when you become the best, um, they are more important for other people than for you. Um, uh, because, you know, I see it with other other. Um, successful players is that if you're if you're in for the wrong reasons your career is very short because it, it's, it takes a lot of hard work and discipline and, and overcoming obstacles on a, on a weekly basis in order to be successful in anything in sport probably in life so uh, you're not really interested then on the next day's newspapers because you actually have done it you know much more than what everybody else reads about it the next day so I never quite got the concept of fame um, yes, I, I understand that people know who I am, uh, uh, and, and you know they think they, they you know 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 me for what 35 years now. But a, is that not true? They've seen my picture or read my name, but they don't know me. And but more importantly, it never, it was never important to me. You know that doesn't mean that I, I don't respect my fans. It's they're very important and, and they're they're part of of the game. And and playing in front of an empty center court is not as uh, inspiring as playing in front of a full and, and you also play for the people but ultimately you would even do it without the people right because you you love the game and you love the competition so um, never understood uh, fame anyway so that is my my short long answer to that so how did you keep your life on track and keep your tennis going so very very well six major titles you know you won Wimbledon again I think you played in seven Wimbledon finals how, how did you keep things going along on the tennis court when money and, as you said, you don't like the word fame and people are around you pulling you in all these different directions? It's difficult. It was difficult then. It's difficult now. I mean, there's a magical word that says no. Sometimes you <laughs> just have to say no. And if people don't want to understand, it's their problem. So it's, it's you know, every day is a challenge, right? There's a schedule, we want to accomplish things, and then you have your own plan and you have, you have responsibilities. And, and uh, uh, along the way, you know, there's a lot of people that come left, right, and center want something extra from you. If there's the extra minute, you can do it, but then, you know, you, you have a clear plan of how your, your day has to be uh, uh, in, in, order, in order to you know, um, be responsible. And, and as a tennis player, it's it's um, it's not as glamorous and it's not as as um, fancy as you think it is. You know, not everybody's called Roger Federer, 
So, so <laughs> you know, the practice routines and the disciplines and, and the things you can't do by wanting to be a successful sportsman, probably, um, uh, it, it's not something you read in the next day's newspaper. But they are essential. They are the foundation of your success. So, so again, you know, if you win, if you win so young, you know, ultimately, you always have to ask a question: Why do you do it? Because at 18, I was, a, you know, multiple Grand Slam champion. I had money in the bank. I was, you know, successful, as, as you would name it. I was famous. So why would I go back at 19 and 20 and 21 and 25 and 29? It's because I love the sport. So ultimately, you always have to ask yourself why you do it on the first place if you are so successful as a teenager. Sometimes it's even harder because, you know, at 20, I had options. I didn't have to play anymore if it were just for fame, money, and fortunes. So, so the question is more difficult to answer. We've talked about winning a couple of Wimbledon titles. Do you learn more about your game when you win or when you lose? You get to the 88 Wimbledon final and you lose to Stefan Edberg, who you talked about right at the start. You lost a couple to him. You, you beat him for a third title. Which did you learn more from, Boris, your wins or your losses? Probably losing uh, hurts a bit more. That's when you listen a bit more. If you're winning... Uh, in the, in the emotions of winning, you forget why you won in the first place. Um, ultimately, you, you learn from both equally because uh, if you win a match, if you win a tournament, there are reasons for it. You don't win by luck. There are certain strategies, mm. certain preparations, certain things you have done that were successful. Um, but in the emotions of winning, you, you forget. Only when you lose and, and it lingers around and, and when you when you're successful as I was, then you don't lose that often. So, you know, losing a Grand Slam final hurts a lot more and that feeling stays with you longer than probably the winning feeling. It's weird, but that's, that's how it is. And then you remember the next time you go back on that court, more about this, this um, unfortunate emotion and this, this, this bad feeling than the good one. So, so it's probably a better teacher. So how did you deal with the losses? I guess the tournament's finished, you pack up your bag, you get in your car. How did you emotionally deal with losing a Wimbledon title? I, I, I'd like to deal with it by myself. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody that, that would dwell in front of a lot of people about um, moments like that. So I would usually, uh, back in the day, uh, all staying in a, in a rented house here at Wimbledon, so I would be with one or two people max and just just you know uh, think about it talk about it and try to try to digest uh, uh, why did i lost and what do i have to do differently but it it stays around it's not solved uh, on the sunday night or the monday morning it's 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 a process how you because again um reaching women's final it, it's not it's not a quick job right you a lot of no. preparation uh, a lot of time pre-tournament, scheduling-wise, practice-wise, that um, have to happen in order for you to be successful. You know, otherwise, everything would be based on luck. You know, in, in other words, just to make it even more graphic, you know, Roger Federer is lucky all the time. I don't believe in that, <laughs> right? There's a, there's a, a big preparation, uh, a scheduling, there's planning, there's practice sessions, there's, there's a way to go about things. And then when you lose the final, obviously something was wrong, so you have to fix it. And, and in order to fix it, it takes a lot of time and, and good people around you that, that can make you play better and, and they can pre maybe prepare you even better for the next time you're in that situation. You really prepare for yourself for the next time. But that takes a while. 
You played in such a golden age of tennis and the names are still famous. Would you indulge me if I asked you what it was like playing against a certain couple of players? Which one come to your mind? Well, the first one that comes to my mind in, in your generation is John McEnroe. Um, we still see him here in Australia in commentary. Um, played with his heart on his sleeve, which people in this country always enjoy. What was it like when you were up the other end of the court from, from John McEnroe? This day is over. It is a bleak outlook for the United States. Becker runs over to Pillich, gets him a high five before going back to John McEnroe. Becker wins at 4, 6, 15, 13, 8, 10, 6, 2, 6, 2. In a new record time of much better than six and a half hours. Yeah, he was the Wimbledon champion uh, the year before I won. So obviously uh, there was a bit of bit of friction because he felt that I was taking over his crowd and everybody was talking about me, not about him anymore. So we weren't best of friends uh, back in the day. We were you know, proper competitors and rivals. And, and you know, he got a bit emotional on the court and I got emotional on the court. Um, what always worked for me against him is I'm physically a lot bigger that if he really gets out of hand I wouldn't have mind him facing in the locker room without, without the record so that's ultimately what calmed him down it's true it's true in the locker room is a very funny place uh, uh, and, and you know what happens in the locker room usually stays in the locker room so I always felt that if he's really that, that unpleasant on the court and if he you know calls me names and it just, just gets out of line I, I you know tell him, uh, what are you doing? You know, it's, 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 we, we play hard, you win, you lose, but don't get personal, otherwise I get personal. And, and so, uh, so we're real competitors. That's, that, made, that made for great matches because obviously there was a lot of, lot of spice. Um, um, so really throughout our careers, you know, we were always proper, um, I would say enemies, but we were real, real competitors. We really didn't like each other much. Um, fast forward, we are real buddies now. I really like him. I've you know, met his wife many times and all his children. And we, are, we call each other friends, but that's 30, 30 years on. But uh, uh, Macron was, was one of the most difficult competitors you can imagine. Ivan Lendl, a uh, fascinating man because from the outside, we, we didn't really see much of him. You obviously beat him in that 86 Wimbledon final. How did you approach a man that seemed to be just solid as a rock emotionally, physically and, and with his game? Another uh, player that was um, unpleasant to play. <laughs> uh, for some reason, back in the day, back in the day, uh, the top players were not as nice as they seem now. Uh, you know, Macron was a handful, Ivan uh, was a handful, and I was so much younger than they are, and, and you know, they had their ways about it, and, and Ivan as well. And again, it got very personal with him. So, so, you know, that, but that made great battles. Uh, he was very, um, I call Ivan the first true professional because he, um, he was the first one that introduced a, a diet, you know, like a special food plan that you can eat. He was the first one traveling uh, with his own physio, with his own uh, stringer for the racket. So he had a whole team around him that, that made him play better tennis. And, he, you know, he didn't really if um, any stone unturned because he just thought it, practice on the court is one thing, but I want to be fitter than the other guy. I want to have a better diet. I want to have better, better tennis rackets to play with. So he was the first one that introduced all this where we take for granted now with everybody. He was the first one that did that. You came back to Wimbledon in 97 and lost to Pete Sampras. 
There's a lot of legends and stories and rumours from you, Boris, that some I don't know if they're true or others, who knows. So, so 97, is it true you spoke to Sampras at the net and said that's it for you at Wimbledon? Um, uh, true, uh, but I, I, you know, I, came, I came back to Wimbledon every year. So, so uh, I felt that in, in the mid-90s, I, I, um, I felt that the end was near and I was looking for... A, for you know a finish and and uh, you know I always felt that um, on my best day at Wimbledon nobody can beat me. Well, that changed when Pete Sampras came along because on his best day, yes, he was a lot younger than me, but on his best day, I felt that he was a bit better than me. So when we played the quarterfinal, um, I felt uh, if if I end up losing that match, you know, it would have been a the right moment to tell the man that overtook my house first. Uh, before I would tell um, the world. What I didn't know is that obviously back then um, the, the court was, you know, mic'd up and there were microphones everywhere and everybody heard what I whispered into his ear. Now, nobody really took it seriously because they thought it was a moment. Sampras in four. Six one, six seven. Six one, six four. But then when I came into the locker room, I had my team around, they just stared at me and said, what, 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 what we heard and you're stopping, what did you say? And I said, what do you mean? Well, we've, we've heard what you said on TV. And then, then it, it dawned to me that, you know, uh, I, have to, I have to now say what I, what I felt. So that's when I announced my, my retirement from Wimbledon. You came back, though, in 99 and got to the fourth round and Australia's Pat Rafter beat you. When you walked off the court that time, did, did you know that was it? And, and if you did, mate, you, you had such a, a wonderful success there. Your name's synonymous, as we started with. How do you feel when you know you're leaving the Wimbledon courts for the last time as a player? Well, um, when I, when I um, made that announcement uh, after I lost to Pete in 97, I was still playing tennis um, on the, the regular tour on the smaller tournaments because I, I love the game and I you know, just, just didn't want to stop overnight. So I did that for about 18 months and I still you know, was winning matches. My ranking was still good, but I just didn't want to um, uh, compete in the majors because you know, they, they, uh, I cared more about them. They, they, they were more important. So I felt... In the winter of '98, I have to find a way to stop altogether because it's 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 no more fun anymore. And I was I was injured and I was playing so well, so I figured that um, I can do um, one more time Wimbledon, but then uh, announce that this will be my last match. So so that's exactly what happened. So I entered the tournament. Um, uh, I did I did beat uh, uh, yes I lost to Pat but I did beat Leighton Hewitt yes you did you did the, the last matches that I won and I still I still tell him about that he thanks me for it <laughs> um, uh, uh, and, and, and I played I played a German guy called uh, Nikola Kiefer who was the number one German so so I had a good run uh, but then when I played Pat in the you know, round of 16, you know, he, was, he was better than me and he, he you know, beat, me, beat me fair and square. And I felt that was the right ending for me. So I, I, could, I could close that book Wimbledon without any, any bad feelings because I felt I've done everything plus a good ending on center court. You know, I didn't finish on court number 17 against I don't know who. It was Pat Rafter on Wimbledon center court. It was my last match here. So it fits. Reading your book again, 
uh, you tell some extraordinary stories in there, and, and it's no business of mine to delve into financial situations, but obviously you spent, and you described a long time in the book about a, a tax dispute you had with the German government. What, what type of effect does that have on your life when your life is played out? We talked about when your tennis life's played out in the media, Boris, but what's it like when when your own personal life is played out in in the media? And the, the German media is a voracious media. Yeah, but I think the Australian media is not much better. No? I mean, it's, it's, no, it is no, what it true. is, right? And I'm, I'm a bit more famous in Germany than I'm in Australia. So, so naturally, uh, they have to be. Well, I, I, um, you know, it comes with the territory of being successful, being very young, and, and you know, being called famous. You know, a lot of people that don't understand the sport, don't understand uh, your life, uh, participate and, and are curious. And of course, of course, you know, the, the prize money uh, we made and you know, some of the other contracts, you know, they were, they were, we're talking a lot of money. So. Naturally, there's an attraction of okay. How how can we how, how can we get him or how or where, where's where's the um, you know everybody has a problem. So where, where where's his problem? Where he's not not 100 percent. So so th- that's really what it was. You know there were a lot of lot of you know without getting to too many details, a lot of things that happened that weren't right. Uh, 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 but you know when 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 the government of, of Germany is is behind you, that's a pretty tough opponent. And, and they usually win. So, so you have to find, uh, we, we called it a settlement agreement where you, you sort of meet in the middle and, and, and you, you, you accept a bit of blame, but you know, obviously not everything. So, so ultimately, ultimately uh, that's how it was done. But it was, it was a difficult time because again, you're talking about the government of Germany and they're very powerful. Back to Boris in a tick. The last episode of the Howie Games featured swimming sisters Kate and Bronte Campbell. The feedback for this episode has been incredible at MarkHoward03 on social media, so thank you for all the messages. I don't think you have to really be into swimming to get something out of what Kate has to say about what happens when elite athletes have their dreams crushed. I made the long walk back down to the warm-down pool and... I could, I could see my coach standing um, at the end of that pool. And sport is really interesting because when you do well, everyone knows what to do. But when you don't do well, people don't know what to do. And it was a long, lonely walk. And the first words I said to my coach, first words I said to Simon was, I'm so sorry, this isn't what I wanted for us. That's Kate and Bronte Campbell on episode 71 of the show. Back to Boom Boom. One thing I should have mentioned, um, of all your great achievements, you're a father of how many children do you have? Four. What's being a father mean to you? I've got two young kids and it's my life. Is it your life as well, your, your wonderful children? You, I don't remember anymore how it was without them. You know, it's, they've really yeah. taken over uh, my life in, in, in many levels. And um, just to give you an idea age-wise to understand what I'm talking about. So one is 25, one is 20, my daughter's 19, and my youngest son is nine. And, and right. so... You know the older ones are already adults, and you talk to them differently than, than I talk to my nine-year-old. And, and and as much as I'd like to think I, I taught them a lot of things about life, they're teaching me uh, as much. Uh, and 
in order for me you know, to understand their language, you know, they speak differently, they are te technology-wise, they're more advanced. Uh, culturally, you know, they've been uh, uh, in, in every, every country in the world by now. Um, they're very wise beyond their years in some ways, and in other ways, they're still all very young. So it's an interesting um, relationship we have, interesting conversations, because, you know, they, I'm a proud father, I love them very much. And, and, and they're very important to me. So, um, again, I, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather um, you know, with all my Wimbledon accomplishments and everything that I've done on the court and professionally, uh, the role of my, uh, the role as a father is, is far more important to me than the role of a tennis player. Talking about that and there, 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 there's no, there's no ending. You know, there's no ending. It, it continues. If, if somebody, if my parents would have told me that, you know, still my 25-year-old or my 25 I still have to deal with them on a weekly basis about things, I would have never believed it. I called myself an adult when I was 20, and I, I can't necessarily tell them about my children. <laughs> I hope they're listening to this at some stage, that they're listening to the Howie games. They know that. Mate, they, when, know that. they know that. <laughs> when, you, when you reflect back on it now as a, as a man that's um, got some more perspective on life, how do you reflect back on your tennis career? I presume with tremendous pride... How do you reflect back on your time as a tennis player, a Grand Slam champion, and a, and a very public person, uh, public figure? Uh, if I if I look back, and if I if I think of, you know, the achievements that I have uh, on the tennis court, I I can't believe it. You know, the older I get, the the more the more I I'm um, I'm surprised with with you know how long I was able to to sustain at that level and how many tournaments I was able to win and defend the title and you know, becoming number one and and Davis Cup and all that so it's it's um, I'm I'm surprised I mean I I'm, I'm thankful I'm, I'm humbled I, I you know when I first started out playing I wanted to be a good tennis player I didn't say I was going to be the best right and then then after so many years looking back uh, yes. A few players have won more, but not many. And and you know, coming back to Wimbledon, you know, obviously this is where it all started. This is this uh, uh, made it all possible. Obviously because of me, because I was able to to do something special here. Uh, and that's why you know, starting off of our conversation is is that's what um, what this place brings back. You know, the, the memories of where it all started. And and uh, so I'm I'm thankful. I'm very very thankful that that I get to play a part of Wimbledon. And do you just live over the back fence? I don't live far away from here. Yes, I call this this part of the world my home for many years. And and uh, the good thing here, um, the locals are very protective of me. Uh, they they like me. I hope they they respect me. And so so as a local, uh, these two weeks or three weeks really is the the busiest time of the year because you can't park anywhere. All the people are in the village. So. So as a local, I don't mind once the championship is over and then there's, there's peace and quiet back, back in the neighbourhood. <laughs> I, I've been enjoying um, you and Adam and uh, Kim on your show every night on Fox Sports, um, the Daily Service. I, I really yeah. enjoy. What, what else is life? Is life good for Boris Becker at the moment? Um, uh, life is good. You know, I'm, I'm always busy. Uh, there's, always, there's always a lot of stories swirling around. Most of them are not true. I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna uh, uh, divulge you that, uh, but it's I'm, I'm still very active in the world of sports. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm the head of the German Tennis Federation for the men, so I'm very much enjoying that role, working with younger players and with juniors. Uh, uh, I'm still active on the media front. I'm, I'm uh, involved in all the majors for various television stations. Um, 
again, you must remember, English is not my first language, so I do all that in my second language, and and, and uh, I'm, 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 you know, um, I'm happy that you can understand my my accents and whatever I'm trying to say, but um, and I do it also for German television sometimes, and yeah, it's. Um, Life is good. I, I can't complain. Life isn't perfect, but life is good. When was the last time you had a hit? I, um, you know, I also look after the Davis Cup team. So in February, uh, we played against Hungary, and and uh, um, Alexander Zverev is our number one player. So he yes. asked uh, me to have a couple of volleys with him and a couple of ground strokes, and I say, as long as you play with me, not against me, I can play with you. <laughs> So have you still got it somewhere in there? No, no, I don't have it anymore. (laughs) I'd rather talk about it. I can explain you. I can show you old videos of mine, but I wouldn't want to play anymore, no. Uh, Before I want to ask you just a few questions, you've been great with your time, Boris, and I appreciate it about the the modern game. But maybe the hardest question I'm going to ask you, because you've had such a life full of experiences and ups and downs, what do you reckon the key to happiness is? That is that is a very short but very difficult question. Uh, mm. Much smarter people than me have tried to answer that in various books. So I'm gonna gonna give it my best shot. Um, look, you know we're all different. Everybody has a different um, um, drum that that you know different type of music that that uh, beats for us. And, and and we have to find our own drum, our own tempo, our own type of music that we like. Because ultimately, you know we. Uh, we're born alone or we die alone and, and along the way you have to have to make the most of your possibilities and, and, and enjoying while doing it. You had a wonderful uh, run of success with Novak. I think you won six titles together when you were coaching him for three six years. Six majors, yeah, yeah, yeah. Six major titles, yeah, sorry, I should have said major yeah. titles. You've uh, Rafa, Roger, of those three that have dominated the modern game, Take Boris Becker as a 20-year-old, which one would you have liked to play? Which one would you have liked to step out on Wimbledon centre court in a final against? Look, I think every um, number one player um, thinks he's the best. So so when I would have been 20 or 25, I would have liked to play all of them because that's the ultimate challenge. When you play against the very best, uh, you want to challenge yourself. And I think that's, that's also um, uh, uh, important. And, and uh, yes, of course, against Rafa on clay would have been difficult. Against Novak on hard court, it would have been difficult. Against Roger on grass, would have been difficult. Um, <laughs> do I w- would would I have ruled out chances? Of course, I would have my chances. So um, uh, uh, that's why I'm always always um, you know when people ask who's the greatest of all time, I said it's very difficult to compare generations. You know, the other day we had uh, Leva on the show, right? Uh, yeah. You know, winner of, of two majors, two majors meaning four Grand Slams in one year, uh, and that's that's impossible now. Uh, having said that, you know, Roger won three, Novak won four in a row, but not in the same year. So, whoever said that that Lever couldn't play Federer, right? Well, both were twenty five. You give them both, you know, same record, same shoes. Who would have won? Who knows? So. You know, the same goes with the 70s and the 80s. Every generation had their star player, and, 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 and they were good then, they're good now. So, yes, Roger won 20 majors, Rafa 18, and, and so they called the most successful. But, you know, 60s was a different time, 70s was a different time, so it's always difficult to compare generations. We've obviously been really uh, behind Ash Barty in this part of the world after she won the French Open, unfortunately knocked out uh, yesterday uh, when this one, uh, when I'm talking to you. Um, 
how do you view Ash as a tennis player? She's made tremendous strides. Obviously, she went and played cricket there for a while, but since she's returned to tennis, she seems to have done wonderfully well, Boris. Uh, unbelievable achievement. You know, to be called number one in anything is, is spectacular. And, and her winning the French Open and then, you know, winning the, the uh, warm-up grass court tournament for Wimbledon, then entering Wimbledon as the number one seed is, is, is unbelievable. And for the rest of her life, you know, she can be proud of herself. Now, losing yesterday uh, is part of, of the territory. You know, as a number one player, you're the hunted now. You know, players want to wanna take your scalp. You know, players have to play their best tennis against you. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I did call her the favorite to win Wimbledon, but, you know, it's difficult. It's, if it's so easy, everybody could do it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, she played on court number two. Uh, uh, that raised, raised you know, questions. Uh, um, but then it was the Monday of, of the second week. You know, it's the busiest day of, of the championship. Everybody wants to play on center, wants to play on court number one. Nobody wants to play on two. Somebody has to do it. So uh, I don't <laughs> think that's the reason... I don't think that's the reason she lost, but it's 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 a different it's a different challenge. It's a, dip, a different atmosphere when you um, when you are the number one player in the world because everybody else you're playing has nothing to lose, and so the pressure is always on you, and and uh, that's for a very long time because I think Ash is going to win uh, more majors. She's going to be be uh, at top of the game for for quite a long time because of her personality in her game. So. Uh, uh, matches like this, they can happen. Nick Kyrgios um, divides opinion in this part of the world. Uh, are you a fan of Nick? I, I'm, I'm, you know, long story. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I want him to do well, but I, I, I worry a little bit that he doesn't understand the position he could have. He would actually win tennis tournaments or, or make play a role in the majors because whatever he's fighting is impossible to win. Uh, uh, you know, I have children that age, so I understand their mindset, their personality is, is they usually go against whatever you want them to do. Um, he has a, has a, you know, has charisma. He has a good aura. He has a good personality. Sometimes he's he's borderline. Sometimes he's over, and he gets penalties which are which are stupid and ridiculous. Um, I would like to see him focusing more on the sport that gives him all the freedom and all the possibilities because sooner or later this time is over and, and hopefully uh, he doesn't look back with, with regrets and just wishes he could turn back the clock and, and, and do it differently. Now, he's still young enough to turn it around, but, but you know, time doesn't wait for no man. Sooner or later it will be too late. Boris, as I let you go, we're lucky enough to have a lot of kids listen to this show. They might be on their way to cricket in this part of the world or football or tennis or swimming what advice would you give to young children that are passionate about their sport well, first of all it's it's uh, a sport is a is a wonderful thing to do regardless uh, uh, who you are and, and almost regardless of sport because it teaches you so much about life in a, in a nutshell in a much quicker way that you you don't learn anywhere else um that quickly uh, uh and and you know i uh, Having four children myself, uh, I didn't know sport is important. They're all active, in, in, not in tennis, because I, I wasn't a pushy father, but they're all good at something uh, that, that involves sports. And I think it's, it's, it's a great uh, live learner if, if, you, if you play in a team and you understand you know, the team spirit and the energy and, and 
doing something together with somebody else uh, is great. You know, tennis is an individual sport, as you know, so we are very much alone. But we do have a team around us, so in a, in a way, it's, it's a it's a team sport as well. Um, yeah, I'm a I'm a sport fanatic. I, I love I don't understand cricket, so don't ask me anything about it. But I love <laughs> the football and I love the golf and I love you know the basketball. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of sports because in a nutshell, you see somebody's emotion and somebody's personality very quickly. Boris, you won the Australian Open twice, um, so you've got a lot of fans in this part of the world. I want to thank you for the time. I know you've got a lot on your plate, especially Wimbledon week. It's been unbelievable to have a chat with you on the Howie Games. May your family and you have a tremendous amount of success from here on in. I really appreciate you joining me for a chat on the show. Thank you very much, Howie. Thanks for having me. Peace, Boris. Thanks to Boris Becker. Very generous of him to give an hour of his time, especially during Wimbledon. I'm still not sure what he thought about the Big Penguins question. But anyway, thank you, Boris. Thanks again also to Matty Weiss and Fox Sports Australia for making it happen. To Darcy Thompson for pulling together all the different audio files I had to record and make it all work together in the edit. And most importantly, thanks to you fine people out there for listening. Until Thursday, the 1st of August, with Ashes winning captain and all-round ripping fellow Michael Vaughan, Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.